Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our December 22nd, 2011 edition of the show. 4.08 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. It is time once again for one of our semi-regular features here on Out the Rabbit Hole that we call Reporters from Strange Realms. So what's going to happen today? We're going to play some music that is going to trigger reporters to call in from bizarre places with peculiar stories, and you will enjoy it. So stay tuned. KUCI, you're on the air. Remember those books where you could create your own mystery? I would devour them in such a way as a little girl that by the end of the book, I had my fingers in ten different places. So I had to go back to pages and see what would have happened at each juncture had the characters chosen a different route. What if Bobby and Susie would have decided to enter the cave in Chapter 4? What choices would they have faced next? And would they ever encounter the same character in Chapter 10? What were their dreams like? My path has been anything but singular. Memory, dream, past, present, future, self, and other, all intertwined. Feeling of a place in the sidewalk, the attraction to an object, the knowing smile of a passerby. These are clues to a mystery unwinding all around me, as if I live many alternate futures at once. I saw you on Main Street today at 3 o'clock. No, I was on the other side of town. But I'm positive it was you. I've met you before. That wasn't me. Remember, we were at the cafe and you gave me the time? Well, yes, I remember, but that wasn't me. It couldn't be. Do you still have Adam's screenplay? Adam was a dear friend who hung himself last December. Yes, but I have no idea where it could be, as I find my right hand climbing up onto the highest bookshelf find a manuscript only I could have tucked away out of sight, out of conscious mind, but still available upon request. I saw a movie full of memory triggers recently, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. The memories called upon were not dark at the time of creation. However, I found myself unable to remain in the theater. Running through the forest, opening scene, recurring shamanic dream, story of journey. Did something bad happen to you? I don't know. I don't think so. That film was a trigger of smaller momentary triggers each day 
of your turn. Splitting wood. Double edge of being intimately connected to someone powerful. Reliance and trust. Truth and manipulation. Protection and terror. Is it fear or is it love that keeps us present? This is Samantha reporting from I don't remember where. Hey, UCI, you're on the air. It was 1965, a small Texas town, a junior high playground, a game of touch football, and Bubba Baxter was spoiling for a fight. He was a year older than me, a redneck kid with an idiot grin and lizard eyes, a psychotic bully with a mean streak a mile wide. He was known to torture cats, and it was rumored he had raped a girl, and he was always spoiling for a fight. The boy was prison-bound, no doubt about it, but prison would come later. For now, he was in my seventh grade PE class, a class which he terrorized when the coach wasn't around. It was 1965, a dusty playground, a touch football. The coach disappeared inside for a cup of coffee, as he often did, and Bubba Baxter took over. Today, his target was me. He called me names, made fun of me, pushed me around, but I wouldn't fight him. I ignored him, or tried to. Finally, he walked up and threw the football right into my face. I snapped. I took a swing at him. I missed. Then Bubba began to beat the tar out of me. The boys were shouting. It was all a blur. I don't know how long it went on. Then Bubba got me down on the ground in a chokehold, a tight, deadly grip, cutting off my air. I couldn't breathe. I kicked. I fought in a wild panic but couldn't get loose from Bubba Baxter's grip and couldn't breathe couldn't breathe and as my vision began to dim I knew suddenly knew that I was going to die if I didn't get loose knew it for a dead certainty and also knew precisely what to do I was on autopilot as if someone else had taken the controls taken over not just my motor actions but a part of my mind so that somehow without knowing I knew exactly what to do my face was in the dirt, and I couldn't see, but I knew that if I swung my free arm upwards, my fists would connect with Bubba Baxter's nose. And so it did. Bubba's grip loosened, and he fell backwards. I turned and looked up. Blood was pouring out of his nose. And then, still on autopilot, I jumped up and began beating Bubba Baxter beat him unmercifully while he tried to get away, not by conscious plan, but by adrenaline-driven instinct. And
and by something else, by a presence inside, a strange outside awareness that had taken over. I watched myself beat Bubba Baxter. I don't know how it would have ended if the coach hadn't shown up. Who knows? I might have killed Bubba Baxter. But I didn't. Instead, Bubba and I were sent to the principal's office and given three licks from the principal's paddle. But later, sore from the fight and sore from the paddle, I still had that strange, detached feeling and an even stranger sense of peace. And for the rest of the day, the presence remained strong within me. That sense of someone or something, not me, at the control, something ancient, something deep and abiding, something unseen but always there, just out of sight, something dark and terrible, yet also strangely comforting like a warm, glowing fire in the deepest heart, a calm wisdom deep within, vast and eternal, always there, always near, my deepest self, yet alien and more than a human. This is Mac, reporting from a place barely remembered. KUCI, you're on the air. Those who might think that they're jaded desert rats. A friend took me on a secret tour about of, of the way places in the high desert. I've been going there for years and written about many strange things baking out there in the back of beyond. But Barbara is a local and incurably addicted to obscure history. She's an endless source of interesting facts and wild stories and knows all the true desert people. At 7 in the morning, with frost on the ground, we stopped at a vast dry lake bed where I flew my ultralight aircraft while, Bar while Barbara and her husband took pictures. I raced her across the three-mile-long lake and scouted the area from the air. Two more friends, Don and Beth, showed up just as it got too windy for safe flying. I landed and packed up for our next stop at a secluded waterhole where I was nearly ambushed by a majestic member of the wasp family known as the tarantula hawk, which supports large, bright... Um, bright orange wings and paralyzes uh, tarantulas with its sting, which is rated the second most powerful in the world, and painful, at least to humans. The insect then lays its eggs in the body of the spider, which is still alive when the eggs hatch and the larvae eat their way out. So far, it was a pretty good day. We stopped for a photo op at a site where someone has recently mounted a shiny white toilet at the pinnacle of a rock pile next to the highway. Barb tantalized me for weeks with stories of a magical place hidden in the granite boulders. It's run by a man who's been on the land for decades and has transformed it into an ecologically friendly and reasonably self-sufficient type of artist commune. My distaste of all things hippie made me bristle. Um, I realize that this is because I've been, I imprinted on the punk aesthetic in my formative years and the instinct in me is strong to avoid any whiff of addle-headed new age fluffery. I kept my sarcastic comments to myself as I tried to give the place a chance. At first, we wandered around a moonscape of burnt oak and Joshua trees, a legacy of the 2003 fire that devastated the countryside. As we made our way down the small canyon, we began to see strange things. 
like a pond full of fish and lily pads watched over by a small statue of a Cambodian Buddhist deity. A bronze statue of a deer caught in mid-leap and sporting antlers with candles on them appeared in a clearing. Someone had placed a fancy heavy sword in a paper mache stone. When I tried to pull it out, the whole thing lifted up off the ground. Even with all of this, I was still emotionally armored against completely enjoying the place. There were chicken coops made with wire strung across gaps in the boulders with a cage of rebar welded to a giant black spider web, into a giant black spider web that covered one side and served as a doorway. A series of caves wound into another canyon formed by the ubiquitous boulders 20 or, four meet, or more feet in diameter. Scrambling between them, we encountered strange assemblies of rock cairns and small pieces of wood arranged almost Blair Witch-like in the clearings. We came upon a small pool fashioned in the rocks. Barbara later said that a weird, almost frightening transformation occurred in me. This little pool was painted the same color as a swimming pool and is wedged between the boulders with concrete filling the gaps, using the natural shape of the area as a bowl. Above the pool is a large wooden branch, which has been covered with colored glass and tiles. Sticking out of cracks in the rocks are quartz crystals, which have been glued carefully in place to appear as if they are growing naturally out of the crevices. Surprisingly, I felt there was nothing contrived about this place. However, for some reason, I grabbed a pool net laying, laying nearby and started to laboriously strain every leaf and stick off the surface of the water. Uh, Barb Letter told me that the transformation in my personality was startling. I didn't feel any differently, at least I don't think so. But she had said she had to leave me alone for a while. I did wonder why she left, but I guess I was in an altered state and really didn't care. The act of cleaning that pool was meditative. I didn't do a lot, didn't really have a do-goody feeling. It just seemed the right thing to do at the time. Perhaps this is what the people living at the commune are trying to keep alive in themselves, and that's as far from the commercialized hippie, as, hippie aesthetic as you can get. It transcends labels and is probably as close to a Zen mind as most, most Westerners can be. Everything was perfect for me to leave behind my prejudices at that moment, uh, but words don't really do the experience complete justice. But el what else do we have besides words? This is Greg reporting from an unknown place. KUCI, you're on the air. You ever been to Quartzsite, Arizona in the summer? It's a land where a few hundred remaining locals for the winter is when Quartzsite becomes a haven for migrating snowbirds and their attendant RVs. Soon on upended buckets, dripping copper wire and swapping tails of rare minerals discovered and then lost again. My new husband and I were returning from our honeymoon through Quartzsite, the crossroads of the 10 and the 95. You know how there's that saying about the devil at the crossroads? It was like that. A pall of evil hung over the whole town. There was the creepy feeling that you get when being stalked by a skinwalker. It was 110 degrees. We just wanted to fill the tank on our Ford F-150 with vintage 72 arrow camper on the back and then get the hell out, but it wasn't going to be that easy. My husband was driving. I was navigating. We were on our way down a frontage road when something compelling caught my eye. A pyramid with a camel on top. Glimpsed only for a second before a dove hit our windshield and was instantly annihilated. Really? Is there a worse omen than a dead dove? 
maybe the fact that it's stuck is a grisly reminder of what can happen when the natural world and modern technology collide. Turn around. It wasn't a request. I just said it. I needed to go back and check out what I saw or what I maybe didn't see. It was compelling. Why? My husband knew that I was as creeped out by this town as he was, and Florida would have been a far more reasonable course of action. I don't know. I think I saw something. A camel? I just want to check it out. I think camel was the magic word. My husband loves camels. We turned around. The dove fell off the windshield and out of sight, although a faint trace of blood remained. We went down a narrow dirt road that bordered a shanty town and ended in the cemetery. If the children of the corn or a zombie horde were going to block the road with burning tires and come forward with pitchforks or voracious undead brain-eating appetites, this would have been an ideal location. But that's not how it went down. The desert remained hot and still. The cemetery rippled in the heat. The earth, too parched and barren to support plant life, instead holds the dearly departed in graves covered by mounds of quartzite, the gold-bearing ore for which the town was named. Stripped of gold, the ore keeps coyotes from the bones of prospectors, rock hounds, and in the center, under a huge pyramid of rock topped with a bronze camel, the grave of High Jolly. My training is in journalism, not fiction or first-person narrative, so even when something paranormal is the impetus for a writing project, research is my recourse, all else follows, but the factual story of High Jolly is no less fantastic than if it had been invented. High Jolly is the Americanized name of Haji Ali. Muslim names have meaning. Muhammad Ali fans know that Ali means the greatest, and Haji means that he made the sacred Hajj pyramid to Mecca. It's believed that he was of Syrian Greek parentage and that he grew up in Jordan. It is believed that the year of his birth was 1828. Was it prescience or a self-fulfilling prophecy that the greatest pilgrim would end up under a pile of gold ore on the other side of the world? The plot thickens. Jefferson Davis, later the president of the Confederacy, but at the time Secretary of War under President Franklin Pierce, had a pet project, bringing in camels to survey the American wastelands. On, a, on April 29, 1856, the supply arrived at Indianola, Texas, along with High Jolly as the lead camel driver for the U.S. Army and 21 camels. He never went home. Neither did one of his colleagues, Yergos Karolombo, also known as Greek George. Greek George achieved lasting fame in the L.A. area, as it was his cabin that the notorious bandit, Tiburcio Vasquez, used as a hideout until his spectacular capture on May 5, 1874. It's safe to say that these camel drivers assimilated. High Jolly became Quartzite's leading citizen, died in 1902, and was reinterred with one of his camels in 1935. There's a folk song celebrating his easygoing nature and his womanizing. With so much success in such a short period, the Camel Corps should be celebrated. Not so. Politically, it was impossible to credit a Confederate with having a good idea, so Jefferson Davis's camels were sold or turned loose in the desert to fend for themselves. Sightings of feral camels were fairly common throughout the late 1800s and even gave rise to a legend, the Red Ghost. The Red Ghost was allegedly a huge red male camel who killed at least one woman, possibly others, because he was driven insane by the burden he was forced to carry. Now widely accepted as fact, the incident first appeared in the Centralia Enterprise and Tribune, the local, the local newspaper of Centralia, Wisconsin, in 1893. 
It reports that the incident took place 10 years previously in the Eagle Creek region of Arizona. The red ghost menaced sheep farmers and prospectors and spread terror in his nightly rampages. And yet, the red ghost was the victim of an even greater enemy, Geronimo. His Apache warriors captured a Mexican and tortured him by tying him to the camel with rawhide straps. As the corpse rotted and the rawhide cut into his sides, the camel was driven to madness and despair. Although several variations on the legend occur, the Centralia Enterprise and Tribune ends by saying that the camel had been shot at Mizzou Hastings Ranch near the San Francisco River only a couple of months previously. The corpse had long rotted off and the network of rawhide straps still remained after 10 years. There's a shortage of physical evidence and solid primary sources, but the legendary elements are rife. A wild beast with supernatural powers, a diabolical plot, civilians in fear for their lives, and certain morbidly comic elements. It's a compelling yarn. So, what conclusions can be drawn? That a long string of coincidences sparked my investigation of the high jolly mythos? That a long dead camel driver tapped me from beyond the grave? Or that the crossroads is a place of magical working, a thin spot between two worlds where just about anything can happen? This is Jane, reporting from the future. Okay, welcome back, welcome back. That was from a CD right there called Lucid Dreams. Talking about that subject with some very interesting music and some researchers sharing their wisdom. So, okay, yeah, this is our latest edition of Reporters from Strange Realms that we do here once in a while on Out the Rabbit Hole. So our contributors today with their fascinating stories were... Samantha Brockfield, and uh, she is a community organizer and a dreamer extraordinaire. Also, Mac White, he is the uh, co-host of PSYOP Radio. He's a comic book uh, graphic novelist with such titles as Villa of the Mysteries and The Bush Junta. Greg Bishop, the uh, host of the show Radio, Radio Mysterioso, I should say, and he is the author of several books, including Weird California. And our last contributor today was Jane Payawa, and she is a historian and a raconteur of Californiana and desert lore, two of my favorite subjects. So, yes, yes, hope you enjoyed that, and we'll be doing this again in the future. Just uh, on-air live readings of uh, things that our contributors have written themselves about uh, all kinds of uh, peculiar subjects, things that will get you thinking, will get you uh, questioning things, and just uh, tickling that fascination nerve. So we're just about out of time here on Out the Rabbit Hole. Matt Kaplan is ready to go with Counterspin and Planetary Radio, which you will enjoy. And I'll let you know before I have to go here that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at 
rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. So that wraps up Out the Rabbit Hole. Robert Larson here, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Also on the web at KUCI.org. Be talking to you next week. Leave you with a little music here from Tom Russell. Jack Dupree used to speak about it.